I'm going to sneak as much time as I can. So one minute early, and uh, I'm just going to do this so that I can hopefully finish on time, even maybe a few minutes early. It's always my goal to do that. And I don't know if you can tell, I get kind of excited up here, and uh, I'll have an idea that'll come in my head or a way that I want to explain something, and it just spirals out of control. Um, But why don't we start with a word of prayer tonight and uh, ask God to anoint our time, um, because I have a very... uh, Hmm. It's an interesting text tonight. I don't know if you've looked ahead, but it's 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. And Paul is going to say some things that I really have a hard time swallowing. And it's interesting. I, Ryan Vincent came into my office earlier today, and Scott came in, and I said, man, either me or Paul might not be a Christian tonight, because he says some stuff that just seems, I don't know. Well, well, we'll discover it. So uh, I guess ultimately deep down, I know who was right. So someone's got to change their attitude. And I would recommend all of us buckle up. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word, which stands true. I thank you for uh, the fact that as much as I can have degrees of discernment and I can have a logical mind and I can have a good biblical education, that your word trumps it all. And therefore, give me as I teach, give us as we learn a submissive spirit, Uh, Father, a a desire to know you and to be conformed into your image and not just to take this text and conform it into ours. Uh, God, it is true that you are good and you are the definition of good and I I can't alter that. No matter what I say and no matter how many people that I get to agree with me, there is just no way that you can be proved false or a liar or bad or wrong. Um, And and we are the ones that need to change. And so I thank you for an opportunity to, to kind of feel that weight tonight. Thank you for your rebuke of my life. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So let me take a little bit of a step back. Uh, we are looking at 1 Timothy, and whenever you're looking in the Bible, is this true for every book? Right now in my head, it's true for every book, that they are written as occasional documents, occasional documents. What does that mean? And this is a really good interpretive key. If they're an occasional document, then it literally is a document that was written for a particular what? Occasion. Which means that there's a situation that is happening that somebody is addressing. Sometimes it's God who is addressing a situation. The children of Israel come up out of Egypt and God is going to encounter them at Mount Sinai and God gives them the Ten Commandments. So what is the occasion? The occasion is Israel is being formed as a nation. They need these commands revealing the nature and character of God and the covenant, what their relationship is going to be like. That is the occasion. Gospels are not books written down to just generically describe the life of Jesus Christ, okay? That's not it. God is not, I believe God is the ultimate author of the Bible, okay? So don't, uh, don't, don't, don't question my belief on that because it's, well, you can ask me and I would just tell you, I believe God is the ultimate author of the Bible. He chose authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, And when you translate it, you realize these are different people. 
And so either God sounds like Matthew and Matthew and John and John and Luke and Luke, or God actually with his sovereign hand, he orchestrates this, the, the kind of the revelation of who Jesus Christ is in this truth. But these writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, write it to an audience, a situation. And so when you wonder, why did Matthew arrange his material this way? Or why did Matthew choose to tell these stories about the life of Christ? It's because he had an audience that needed to hear a particular truth. The stories of Jesus are not twisted by the, by the writers, but are selected by the writers to approach what the audience needs. So for example... Um, well, John even said this, I could have written down everything, but if I did try to write down everything Jesus did, I do not believe the world could contain the books. But these things were written to you. This is found in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. But these things were written to you so that you might know who Jesus Christ is and that by believing in him, you might have life in his name. So that's why John wrote it. Okay, that's the occasion. That's the circumstances. It's much like if your child says, oh, mommy, mommy, I'm really afraid of the storm. I'm really afraid of the storm. There's a storm outside, and I'm really afraid of the storm. I'm really afraid of the storm. I, I just, I'm so afraid. I, I, I don't, I, is, God, is God big enough to control this storm? What story would you tell him? Well, son, I'm sure he is. One day, Jesus turned water into wine. Okay, don't know how that helps me, mom. You're right, but there was another day that Jesus healed a leper. Good, and if I get leprosy, we'll get back to that one. Mom, what story will you tell them? Coming of the storm. Why? Because it, it, it matches up, right? So that's a very simple way to see what's happening. And this is, this is gonna be really important, I promise you. I'm not just teaching you a general rule of how to interpret, but it gets really important with this particular text. And I think this is gonna be really helpful for you as you move around the Bible and you have questions about why certain things happen, you've got maybe even a struggle accepting what happened because it doesn't seem to be what you would have done. It's not what you would have said, it's not how you would have behaved. And one of the reasons why is because we fail to remember that the great apostle Paul, and, and by the way, I, I believe that what he did was right and under the sovereign care and protection of the Holy Spirit, okay? But I don't want to use that as a cop-out. I want to be able to realize that there's actually even more at us trying to understand how and why these words were written tonight, okay? So Paul is the author. Paul is writing to Timothy, who is located at a particular church. That church is what? The church at Ephesus. That's the context. Who knows the, the, the church at Ephesus and the Christians there really, 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 really well? Who knows it well? Paul does. Two and a half years teaching at the school of Tyrannus. Like Paul meets with the Ephesian elders on Miletus and they weep over each other because they're so close. Paul says to the Ephesian elders, you know my life. You know that I've never coveted anyone's silver or gold. Paul knows this church really, really well. So before we just critique some things that he's going to say, because this is what I was doing today in my, in my office. I was kind of wrapping this up. I was like, okay, this is kind of intense. Paul's going to say some things about people that I just think is kind of rude. 
And instead of just saying, well, hey, um, Paul gets to be rude because he's a Christian and like anointed by God, so he gets to say what he wants to say. Maybe it's actually more, um, like it's deeper than that. Maybe Paul is dealing with a very real situation that he knows. See, one of the interesting parts about occasional documents is that what we really get is one side of a conversation, right? We get one side of a conversation. How many of you have heard a story and after hearing that story, you are just shocked that that happened and you cannot believe they did that? I just, I can't believe it. Is that what, that's what happened? Well, I just, I will talk to them. And you go and you find them and you say, I heard what happened. And then I, and you and this and that. And they go, well, did they tell you this? No. Did they tell you this? No. How about this? No, not, oh, wow, that kind of changes. How many of you have been in that circumstance? Right? I, I remember actually a, a situation where I was, I, was, I was speaking to somebody who had heard that this, had, this had happened at school and then this happened and this happened and, and the mom was ready to go to war, right? Get ready to go to war. Mama Bear came out, ready to go to war. And I just said this. I, I thought it was brilliant, actually. I didn't even come up with it myself. I said, well, you know, before you just assume that all of what you've heard is true, why don't you get some you know, corroborating evidence to find out whether or not that actually happened. What? You don't believe? And I said, actually, really, I don't believe. I, I really, I don't believe. My kid comes home and tells me, here's what happened at school today. Huh. So that's probably what not happened. How could I figure out what really happened? So there's, there's more going on. So here's what's interesting. When we're dealing with Paul in this circumstance, Paul knows what's happening. Okay? So... We, we, we've watched a lot of videos lately. We get this a lot right now in our culture. You'd think we'd be smart enough to figure this out. We watch like a 30-second clip of something that has happened somewhere, and we think we know that an injustice has been done from 30 seconds. And you're positive that you know everything about it. I was listening to a conversation about people going off about a kind of a recent thing, and I just, I've been around long enough I thought we'd all have been around long enough, but maybe not. thought we'd been around long enough to say, hey, listen, like, you're right, that did look bad. I have no idea what was happening around it. I have no idea the circumstances that led up to that. I have no idea how, how we got there. Since I don't know how we got there, I mean, I, I'm sure. I mean, it's great to have some questions, but maybe we might want to begin by trusting that what is being done or what's happened actually might have needed to happen. Anybody on the same page with me? You think that could be true here? Because Paul is dealing with some very real issues. Okay? So before you just step into Paul's living room and go, how dare you say that about widows? How dare you say that about, how dare you assume that, hey, he's not talking about your grandma. He's not talking about your circumstances. So don't leave your grandma at home. Leave your life circumstances at home today. And I, I would even argue with the biblical text, instead of just assuming that you have it right and that here's what Paul was going to say, I had to literally like dial myself back and say, maybe Paul 
knows what he's talking about. How, how does that sound? And instead of just arguing with him, well, how dare he say that, that women could be like that? Because um, he knew them? For example, I said, man, there's this one lady, and she, she talks all the time. Talks all the time. And sometimes I have to tell her, you know, you really need to let other people talk. How many of you are going, like, that is just not fair, and that's just not true? Wouldn't you go, who is it? Right? And then I say, well, here's who it is. Oh, yeah, she does that. Right? Man, there's this one guy, and he's always angry and mean and just belligerent. How many of you go, how dare you say that about men? No, it's this guy that I know. Who is it? And I give you his name. Oh, yeah, he is like that, actually. So think about this, right? How many times, when, when I read through this text tonight, you know what you're going to want to do? You're going to want to put your grandma in. You're going to think that what he's dealing with, how about this? This is really helpful. How about before we just apply the Bible to our circumstances, recognize that Paul is giving critical advice to this particular situation and by, uh, hear me, I do believe by the governing power of the Holy Spirit, Paul has a, on Paul, he has a good assessment of what's going on. So for example, in Philippians chapter four, Paul says, hey, um, Sisygus is, I think it's actually a name, it's not Yokefellow, I think it's the name Sisygus. Sisygus, Yodia and Syntyche are not getting along. Will you please meet with these women and tell them they need to stop arguing and they need to be one? Make sense? That is what's happening here. And the Apostle Paul is going to address some key issues that the church today can learn some principles from. And let's just assume that Paul has very real people in mind as he tries to dissect what's happening here. I think another major problem that we have in our culture, um, and again, I don't even know it's good or bad, it just is. We are hyper, hyper, hyper sensitive about confidentiality. Hyper, hyper sensitive about it. So even at a Christian college, when I would hand out like an assessment of my class, no names were allowed. I had to wear a blindfold, sit in a bag. Um, students could write whatever they want. I had to literally just, I can't know who you are. I can't even know anything. Why? Because if they know, and I know, and then you know, and then they know, then we'll never be able to tell the truth. And I would always ask, I thought we were Christians. I thought we would just tell the, well, Jim, you're just idealistic. Uh, yeah, actually every Sunday when I'm up there, I'm idealistic. One of the things that you need to just give up on, Paul's not freaking out about confidentiality. Now you can label them wrong, you can do whatever, but that does not exist here. Paul cares about something much deeper than confidentiality. He cares about the church being the church, okay? Which, by the way, doesn't mean I'm totally against confidentiality. I think we're way obsessed to the point where it gets in the way of honest conversations. Can I at least, and this is my conviction, I think our obsession with confidentiality just hurts relationships because it just breeds a lack of trust. Let me ask you this. As we become more confidentially driven, has it driven you to trust people more or less? 
Timothy. First Timothy chapter five, verse one. Here's the instruction, and the instruction that Paul is giving looks like this, and you have it on the top of your handout. Paul is giving instructions to Timothy that is going to go to the church at Ephesus. So he's saying, hey, Timothy, here's what I want you to do. I'm not telling you what other people need to do. I'm telling you what you got to do. So these are personal instructions from Paul to Timothy. So that's really what we're dealing with. These aren't things that, 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 that the Ephesians necessarily have to do, but it's, this is Timothy, I want you, and I want you to go do this right now. Number one, do not, it's, it's an imperative, do not rebuke, literally the word means to strike out. And obviously in the context, it means verbally. Do not verbally strike out against an older man. And that's not the word for elder, so it just means someone in the congregation. Again, you need to remember that in this particular context, okay, the culture that existed during this time period, which is so different than us, is honor, shame. Honor, shame culture, okay? That is so not us. (laughs) Uh, We have actually like no honor, no shame culture. But to be shamed or to be honored is absolutely critical. So how you act, I mean, it's, it's weird. We, I think we kind of have, there's no way we can totally escape from it. But notice how even like when someone in a family makes a mistake, what do we say? Hey, listen, it's not your fault. You don't need to, you don't need to deal with the baggage that your kids did. I promise you, you're perfect. You're awesome. Like you, you don't have to be embarrassed about that. You really, really don't. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to. That's how we talk, isn't it? That's just them. They're just an individual. How many of you have had moments where you're still embarrassed by a family member? Right? No matter what I tell you, you still feel it. So there's no way around this, okay? Coming out of Japan, it is incredibly strong there to the point where, like, you will not risk dishonor. You will not risk it. There are some downsides to it, by the way. It actually kind of perpetuates a a lie-to-your-face culture. They love to just, oh, yeah, I'll do that. Oh, yeah, I'll do that. (laughs) And you're going, you're not going to do it, are you? No. I just can't say that right now, but I'll see you later. So it gets complicated in biblical teaching. They look and uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. So it's, it's an interesting. So that's, you need to realize that's what's happening here. It's an honor-shame-based culture. So you do not rebuke an older man, but you encourage. And the word there is the word that is also translated as parakaleo. It is also translated in other places to urge or to preach. So again, the concept of encourage is not, and this is so in our culture, Hallmark has stolen this word. It's um, to, to, to give, usually when we think of encourage, like empty platitudes. You're the prettiest girl in the world. You're the most special. It's like, um, think of just Facebook, right? You post something and everybody's gonna tell you how you're the most awesome and the best and the greatest and all that stuff. That's kind of, that's not what the word means, okay? It has more, it has more teeth in it, biblically speaking, But instead, encourage this one, because by the way, if you're going to rebuke or strike out verbally against, it's usually because something bad was done. So the word encourage in this context has some grit in it, but you're just not going to be striking out against. It's like, hey, dude, dial it back. Dial it back a little bit, but still speak truthfully. But encourage him as you would a father. So one of the big things that we're going to see in this particular text and I think this is so helpful, 
is that the church becomes at some level a mirror image of what's happening with the family. We talked about this last week. Church and family have like close situations, close, close relationships, so that if we were to even describe what's going on in our lives, truly, we're family. Because I've got some sisters here and a brother, and I've got Grandpa Gary, I've got all these different people in my life, and I'm so grateful for all these different people in my life. I'm just grateful that I have grandparents and parents and brothers and sisters. Jesus even said this. For those of you that have given up lands, you'll get more land. For those of you that have been given up family, you will get more family. That's what Jesus describes. And so how do I treat an older man? I treat him as I would my own father. That, that changes everything. Changes everything. Timothy, you treat him as you would a father. Younger men, I would treat as brothers. Older women, I would treat as a mother. And younger women, as a sister in all purity. Now, kind of the general context here, though, in the context of the letter, is when there's difficulties, when there's hardships that are coming in. So I don't think he's saying only when there's hardship, deal with them in this way, but it's a little bit of a kind of this general reminder, hey, listen, that idea of us being the family of God is more literal than you realize. It is more true than you know. That is why, um, how many of you this, gets, this is why it always gets more complicated as churches get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. How many of you, Christmas Day, one of your kids doesn't show up, you don't even notice for like five or six hours, right? And even when you're talking about it, well, who really cares? It's just Max, right? You know what I mean? It doesn't really matter. It's Max. We got, we got other kids here. How many, how many of you think like that? Or how many of you are like, I don't want to even start until Max gets, my wife's a freak about this. Nobody can eat, nobody can touch presents, nobody can do anything until everyone is there. And, and think about as the church body gathers together, what kind of attitude do you have? How about even yourself? Should you be there or not? Should you be around or not? Should you be connected or not? Well, what does it really matter? Well, I'm just saying, if it's family, you know, it's, I, I, whether you like this or not, and I mean this as nicely as I can, I pray that your children love and honor and respect you and want to be a part of your family the, way, the same way that you're, I pray this prayer, the same way that you want to be a part of God's family. May, may, may that be the, the degree to which. How many of you go, I don't want that. That's not right. But notice how this is the context. This is why only when we understand who we are in Christ, not just saved people, brothers and sisters, your presence matters, my presence matters, how I treat you matters, how you treat me matters. That's what Paul is driving at here, all purity. So he's gonna be dealing in this chapter with these issues, men, women, elders, and money. By the way, he's already dealt with all of these issues before. He's already dealt with men and women in chapters two and three. He's dealt with elders in chapter three. He's, dealt, he's gonna deal with money in chapter six. So these key issues that are gonna be brought up in these just 16 verses are gonna be brought up elsewhere in the book as well. Verse three, honor, he says. Now that word's a kind of an interesting word and it could either mean honor as it would be just respect, okay? Or it could actually mean honor, pay, that might be strange to you. What do you mean honor, pay? 
Well, Paul says elsewhere, um, he, he makes this particular comment, that an elder in a church who is preaching and teaching deserves double honor. And there, and he goes on to talk about that you don't, you don't uh, let, uh, you, you let a, uh, an ox that's grinding out stuff, you let him eat because you don't, you don't restrict him. If he's going to be, if this ox is going to be working for you, you want to make sure he can eat. And he uses that analogy from the Old Testament that an elder is worth this, this, this double honor. And so in that context, he talks about money. Same, same Greek word, okay, tamao. And then in another context, in chapter 6, he goes on and he actually, in 6.1, he says, slaves, honor your, um, uh, your masters. And in that context, it doesn't seem to be like pay. It seems to be more like just the, the typical honor. So we really don't know what he means. I, he may actually mean both in this particular text. You'll see why. Honor widows, so definitely honor in terms of care for, and this word, again, in a, in a shame, honor-based society, it's huge. Um, Exodus chapter 20, I believe verse 12, describes just the importance of honoring your father and your mother. And why, so, so think about this, why, does anybody know why we honor our father and our mother, why God's command is in Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy 5, if you're reading it there? Do you know what, you know what the promise is? So, so long life, so you will live long in the land. I can't, I'm not just a, I, I do, I love my family very, very much, but it's not just that. There is something that is so important. One of the reasons why I think it's just so uh, critical that we spend time talking about manhood and womanhood and sexuality and singleness and marriage and divorce. It's because it's not working right now in our culture. It is so broken in our culture. And that is why everything is so broken. We got to address this. So this honor issue is so huge. So honor widows, and you'll see why as we kind of move forward, there actually may be like a, like a, like a give money to so it could literally be both. Honor widows who are truly widows. Now, here's one of the things that's interesting about that word truly, um, and you'll see it a number of times. He says this, truly widows, truly widows. Um, it just, sometimes it can be actually translated really in need, like if they're really a widow, and it's kind of emphasizing the fact that they're a widow, and they're alone, and they have no one else to care for them, and they have no one else to provide for them. And so the word uh, it's just kind of a simple Greek word, um, kind of can usually translated like indeed. So it could mean this woman is truly a widow. You know what I'm saying? Truly like a widow, like there's no one else there, like she's alone. It could be that. It's definitely not truly a widow, honestly, like her husband's dead. That's, that's, that wouldn't make a lot of sense. That wouldn't make a sense. I mean, that's just, we would just call them widows, Okay. So a widow indeed, meaning a widow who truly is in need of family. So what does God do with people who are in need of family? Like he gives them the church. This is another reason why if you, call, if you come on Sunday and you have your family and you take care of your family's interests, like what about those people that don't have family. Like what about those, those single moms who walk in? I remember one of the most awkward things that my dad would do when I was in, we were in this tiny little church, is there just for whatever reason, there always seemed to be 
it was a tiny little Church of Christ in uh, in Ontario, um, but it was there would be like this this mom would come in and it seemed like she had like a, like forty or fifty children with her. It seemed like to me it was like lots of children, and they would be noisy. Okay, they would be noisy, and my dad, no matter where we were in the congregation, would get up and he would go sit with these children and help them to mind, and I would just kind of put my head in the hymnal. Just kind of hide. Oh, why is dad doing this again? This is so embarrassing. And then afterwards, it happened so many times. Afterwards, this woman would come up and she would say to my father, thank you. Like, I mean, it's just, it's crazy. I hope the kids weren't a bother. And I'm going, oh, okay, you didn't hate that. But every time he would do it. And I remember my dad saying to me, like, son, you just, you have no idea. Can you imagine what it would be like? My dad was big on, could you imagine what it would be like if we were them? Could you imagine what that would be like? Can you imagine how frustrating that would be? I mean, do you realize like how critical it is? Like I, I know that it's easy to kind of walk into the church or to be a part of a church and to just, and you're, you're doing the best thing you can to kind of keep your family together, right? What about those people who don't have? What about those single moms that don't have? There are children who come to this congregation whose parents don't come. Do you know who they are? I mean, there are widows, <laughs> speaking of that, in this congregation who don't have, like, someone to talk to. Does that matter? See, and I, this is an amazing text because there really are, indeed, widows. But the good news is there is a church. Verse 4, but... If a widow has, now, this is how you know that the context of that indeed really means in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness. Again, so what is godliness? Um, not drinking, not smoking, not looking at porn. Anything else? Hmm. Did I say swearing? I think that's bad. Okay. By the way, those things are bad. Okay. I mean, I'm not... I'm trying to defend that is, is godliness any more than that? And here's what's interesting. What is godliness? Let them first learn to show godliness to their own household. What does that mean? Like care for them, honor them, provide them, to provide for them. And to make um, and to make some return, I love this, and to make some return to their parents. Now, here's one thing you need to know about the Roman culture. Um, people died, generally speaking, rather young, particularly men. I mean, it wasn't uncommon. I, we saw this in Africa, actually. They wouldn't even name their children until they get to a certain age because chances are they're not going to live that long anyway. So we'll name them when they're five, if they can make it to five. That was just amazing to me. So what's the average age? Oh, I mean, if, if they could live to like 19 or 20, that'd be awesome. Really? Oh, yeah, like so many of them just... If you're in your 40s in the Roman world, you're an old person. If you're in your 60s, you are a really old person. So when you're talking about widows here, okay, you're talking about women that are in their 40s, 50s, and 60s. I remember when um, uh, Andrew and I, in one of our ministries, Helen uh, Bud passed away. He was one of my favorite elders in my first ministry, uh, Bud, a wonderful, wonderful guy. And I remember looking at, at, at Helen, and what, Andrew, she was probably like, what, 62 or 63 years old? 
And that would have been in 94, 93, 94, somewhere around there. So, I mean, it's been, what, 22 years? Did I get that right? And I remember at Bud's funeral thinking, wow, like, Helen's young, actually. Back then, I thought 60 was just like one day shy of 410. But now that I look at it, it just, it seems so young to me. And Helen's still alive. And she's got a long time to live after Bud's passing. So this is kind of the, the kind of the social, the, the socioeconomic context. People in their 40s and people in there, and there were actually a number of very, in the Roman world, there were actually a number of, of very wealthy widows whose husbands either died in, who knows the circumstances, right? Um, where a lot of wealth would be given to them. And then what do they, what do, they do with that? How do they, how do they live? And, and by the way, when there's a rich widow, guess who's usually kind of hanging around? Right? Young guys going, hey, how you doing? And this is what's going on. And so the apostle Paul says, listen, if they're young, then what do you do? And if they're in need, you tell them to go home. You need to go back, and, you need to go back with your parents. So again, notice this, and this is very interesting. This is so different than our culture. Our culture is, hey, you're 18, you're on your own. Hey, you're 18, you're on your own. Which I, I like the idea of being, of, 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 of children who can manage their own affairs, okay? But when you look at circumstances that are happening in our culture, so who will take care of our kids if, if we don't? Well, the government will. We've got an entire network, an entire social network um, that, that cares for them that we don't even concern ourselves with. And that just didn't exist in the Roman world. So in part, it's, just, it's a different day, honestly. It's just a different day. Paul couldn't say, well, let the Roman government care for them. No, he couldn't say that. If you, if you weren't cared for by your family, then you starved to death. You weren't gonna make it. You would have to go into prostitution. You would have to sell yourself as a slave, which, by the way, isn't quite the same way we think of slavery. It would be more of an indentured servant, okay? Um, but that's how they would handle that. And so could you imagine what it would be like if you found out that instead of Andrea and I providing for, 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 uh, for one of our children who was going through a hard time, we just let him become a temple prostitute? Tell me, tell me, what, that, tell me what that looks like. And, and, and not because, you know, he's been living poorly and I'm, I've tried to hold him accountable. Not kind of that. It's just, hey, why am I taking care of him? He's 18. It's his life. How many of you would go, I'm so proud of our pastor. How many of you would go, actually, I'm embarrassed by this guy. Like this, this, even the world, notice how this will be picked up here. Even the world knows to care for its family. Not perfectly, but even the world can figure that out. So notice how the Apostle Paul says, this is godliness to provide for your family. By the way, that doesn't mean spoil them like crazy. Okay, so we sometimes go hog wild with that issue, but it definitely means there is a responsibility to care for our families. And look at this. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. See, so often when we think about godliness, we again think of these like external issues instead of really getting to the heart of what God wants. 
which is for us to literally, it, it gets this simple and this profound, um, to love God and then to love others, to treat others the way that I would want to be treated. That's kind of, to, to love my neighbor so that if he's in need, I would provide for him and I would care for him. And by the way, you know why, you know why we should act that way towards one another? Because that's how God acts towards us. I love these texts that come from the Old Testament. And what is the, what is the, what is the, how does the Bible describe God in the Old Testament in relation to widows and orphans? Who is he? He is their defender. So do you see what happens when a church decides, hey, good luck with that? No, 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 no. But notice how it's not just, hey, um, my mom's not doing well financially. Will you take care of her? What would Paul say? Well, you take care of her. You're her son. You take care of her. This is where the Apostle Paul is going to start moving to meddling. Okay? Paul would say, hey, why, why should we take care of her as the church? Why don't you take care of her? She's your mother. And by the way, you should honor her, Exodus 20. So why aren't you taking care of her? Because he goes on to say, notice how this continues, she who is, he'll say the same phrase, she who is truly a widow, meaning a widow that is indeed in need, and then he begins to describe it, left all alone, okay, now here's where he's moving to meddling, has set her hope on God. Can you imagine if we started having uh, qualifications for helping people? This, This was hitting me as I was thinking through this. How would you, tell me what you would think if I said, I really think we should help people who have good moral character. But if they don't have good moral character, then I'm, we need to probably rethink how we help them. Any of you just kind of getting a little uncomfortable? No, 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 no. We help everybody. We don't even have a judgment. I don't even know what right or wrong is right now. I'm helping someone. Because that's me. If you were to even ask me, I think I would actually say, no, actually, the worse they are, the more we should help them. The more that we should just accept them. That's what God does. That's, that's, as I was reading this text, I'm going, this doesn't seem like the way I think. I kind of think we don't, we don't move through this like, like this. But no, what does he say? These are these widows. They are left all alone. Okay, well, that one makes sense. They have set their hope on God, and they continue, and he'll add a phrase here in a moment, day and night, in supplication and prayers. This is the kind of woman that we honor. And they, he qualifies it. Are we supposed to qualify who we help? I don't even know if I have the answer for that one. Verse six. But she who is self-indulgent, <laughs> literally the word is used twice, one in the, what is known as the Septuagint, which is the Old Testament translated into Greek. That Greek word for self-indulgent is used of the people of Sodom. Okay. And then James uses it for the rich who literally love to just lavish on themselves, okay? But she, meaning a widow, who is self-indulgent, is dead even while she lives. So this is what he is describing here. And notice this, the strange phrase. She's dead. What's weird about that? Who are we talking about? Widows. So it's kind of odd that he would say, this widow, she's dead even though she lives. Why? Because of the way that she's living her life. And if she's living her life this way, how many of you are going, I don't think we should be talking about this. Who are, who are we to judge? 
Who are we to judge? Who are we to say that something is self-indulgent? Anybody else kind of go down that road? I do. I'll be honest with you. I'm not kidding. I I go down that road. Who is to determine what self-indulgent is, by the way? Who who really can know whether there's any kind of self-indulgent? Who knows what indulgent means? I don't. Nobody knows what indulgent means anymore. But Paul is giving some rather, one of the reasons why we now act like that is so that we have, because I don't think we know how to know these things and discern these things, and so we just relegate it to relativism. Like, all sins are the same. That took care of that problem. Because <laughs> remember when we had, like, there were different kinds of sins and there were really bad things, and then, there were, and then we just kind of labeled them all the same? That was so awesome. That took care of most of our problems. You don't need any discernment. All sins are the same. I don't even need to think now. Isn't that awesome? But Paul says, no, 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 listen. Those who are self-indulgent, like the people in Sodom, like those who love to just spend on themselves, are dead even while she lives. Verse seven, imperative, command these things as well. So that, purpose statement, they will be without reproach. Okay, so what is, what is, what is he commanding so far? This, these widows, as you'll see in a moment, we're gonna care for. Those that have set their hope on God, those that are not self-indulgent, these are the ones that we've got a responsibility for and to care for. Those that are not, you'll see what he does with them and you'll be as uncomfortable as I am about it. But this is how Paul is beginning to kind of sort through this mess. And we command these things so that the church would not have a blemish against its name. Now, now here's where I like this. I'm a big fan of the church not having a blemish on its name that we don't care for our own. I hate that, I hate that accusation, okay? I mean, we, I, I, would, I would just want to crawl in a hole and die if I heard people say, man, I'll tell you, the people at Sunnybrook, they don't even take care of their own. Like they don't, they don't care about their own. They don't, they will not help their own. They don't do anything. They just a bunch of selfish. I would want to crawl in a hole and die. Now here's the other one that you need to think about this. The other one is, man, they support these people and and they allow them to live any way that they want. Oh, that one's easier to deal with actually. Right? Isn't that one easier for us? Especially if I don't have to confront her? Especially if I don't have to actually have that awkward conversation? But the above reproach is on both sides of this. Paul cares a lot about this above reproach. It's how he set the course for elders. Find men who are above reproach. Which, by the way, doesn't mean they've never done anything wrong. It just means that in their current state... They are in a right relationship with God, right? Paul's got a past, but he's above reproach. What could you accuse him of? Things he's repented of, things that are clearly not part of his life. What could you accuse someone of? Listen, if it's, if it's past, it's past. God's forgiven, amen? Forgiveness and grace, okay, it's done. If it's in there now, if it's being accepted, if it's being, if it's being ignored, Now that's reproach. Verse eight, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives 
and especially for the members of his household. So the kind of the, the closer uh, that we actually see this. So I need to take care of, you know, where does that end? And, and truly, I got some pretty big family, so I've even lost touch with most of them, okay? But I care for this particularly, and I even need to care for this. I don't know if you've ever had that kind of the weight of that. I remember my dad telling us um, as my parents get older, and I still have one sister who is a widow, um, who is about in her, born 58, so she'll almost be 60, right? Is that right? I think she's almost 60, 58 years old, I think. And Diana is in a wheelchair. And uh, I remember my dad looking at me because we always kid around about the fact that I'm going to get no inheritance at all because I've already spent mine. Okay, that's the joke in our household and it's so true and I'm so sad, but I'll be okay. Um, I'll provide for myself. Uh, In the middle of this big conversation, my dad would look at us and he would just say, you do know that Diana gets everything. Like she gets everything. And then after, when she passes on, then you guys can figure this out. But she will be cared for. Do you? Yes, sir. I mean, it's just like, Dad, I'm, I, I kind of gets me excited about it. I'm kind of like, I like you more, Dad. You know what I mean? We're going to care for your sister. Everything. My dad, just everything goes to her. Everything. Why? Because she's in a wheelchair and she's a widow. That's why. Yes, sir. What am I supposed to say? But Dad, I'm your favorite son. And I really want to spend your money on frivolous things while my sister, who is a widow and in a wheelchair, (laughs) you know what I mean? I mean, this is how we do this. Grateful to my father for reminding me of those things. If you don't care for the members of your household, look at this, you have denied the faith and you're worse than an unbeliever. That's pretty intense, isn't it? So this is, this, is, this is what happens. If you're not gonna care for your own, you are worse than an unbeliever, he says. Verse nine, let a widow be enrolled. Now, what's interesting is that word for enrolled, we don't know if this is an office. You need to realize that in the next few hundred years, the church, and I don't wanna kind of put a capital C Catholic or a capital R C Roman Catholic, um, but the church is about to create a, a number of different special offices. Clergy is going to be developing um, the priesthood, essentially, within the CRC church is going to develop over the next hundreds and hundreds of years. But they will actually have, like, groups of virgins that will become, like, an order, and we know them as what? Convents. Okay? And there was also, from this text, but we don't know which created which. Okay? Chicken and an egg thing. Is Paul asking for there to be, and you'll notice there's a responsibility that goes with this, is Paul saying, hey, for those of you that are widows in this congregation, and for those of you that have set your hope on God and you are praying regularly, and we need to take care of you, and so we're going to do it, so let's put you in the service of the king. So it's not Paul trying to go, hey, how can we get our money's worth? That's not what he's saying. Paul is all about kingdom. Paul is all about kingdom. And so he is saying, let a widow be enrolled, and we don't know if that's a list or if it's an office. I think it's a list, truly, I do. I think it develops into more of an office, the office of a widow who is then kind of on, like kind of, it's weird they wouldn't have this, but like on staff. Let the widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, which is kind of near 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 the end, okay? So if you, want to, if you want this kind of help, okay, you have to be at least 60, he says, which, I mean, you just think, so what if you're 50? I mean, how many of you are already going, well, what if she's 59, right? 
Listen, let, let Paul work this out. Having been the wife of one husband, where have we heard that before? Qualification for elder, husband of one wife. It's the exact same phrase, except gene, woman, and ander, man, are reversed. The one ander of woman, gene, and the one woman of man, which I would argue quite strongly that it's not describing divorce here, but it is describing faithfulness. Okay, so then guess what the church now has to have a conversation about? Has Andrea been faithful? Has she been a faithful spouse? Because if she hasn't been a faithful spouse, then we're not gonna help her. How many of you are going, I don't think we should be talking about this. No. If she has not been a faithful spouse, been the wife of one husband, look at this, and having a good reputation for good works. This is what will get you on the roll. This. And then he explains what that looks like. What does that actually look like? And so look at this explanation. If she has brought up her children, if she has shown hospitality, if she has washed the feet, the feet of the saints, which that is more likely like a metaphor for served the needs of the saints, has cared for the afflicted. It's interesting. The word for cared there means to, um, it literally means to like to come to the, to the aid, to relieve, to, to kind of fight off something um, for someone else's benefit. So think a lion's about to attack someone and you come in and you care for them. It's not, oh, how are you, sweetheart? You're so sweet. And you know, it's not that. It, it is a much stronger term. It is to, to fight away, to drive away something for someone's advantage. Literally is what the Greek word means. To drive something away for the advantage of somebody else. This is, this, these are, this is what these widows need to be doing. Um, cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. Okay? So, so let's, say, let's say we wanted to do this. Okay, Let, let's, let's just pretend right now that the elders got together and said, listen, we got widows in our church, the government's not taking care of them, and we need to take care of them. Okay, but we can't just take care of everybody. Well, no, 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 we have the money. No, no, it's not about the money. We just shouldn't take care of them because they're not good people. They're not, they're not faithful. She's not faithful. She's not been faithful to her, her husband. She doesn't care about doing good works. So we're just not going to help her. How many of you, if you heard, okay, that we as an eldership decided to not help somebody because of their poor character, how many of you would be upset? Honestly, raise your hand. How many of you would be upset? I would. Right? You're all lying, by the way, but that's fine. You'd be upset. I doubt if I could get our elders. I really, and I mean this in kind of this complicated, good, bad way. I doubt if I could get our elders to agree with Paul in this text. Right? I doubt if we could agree with him. We would find some reason. And by the way, that might even be legitimate. Maybe we could come up with some other biblical reason why Paul was wrong on this one. But you know what is creepy about this? He sounds very similar to himself in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he gives a similar speech to idle, lazy men, 
So just in case you think he's kind of going off on women in this text, he is, by the way. He's going off on widows who are acting improper. Can we trust he knows what he's talking about? In Thessalonica, he goes after men who are thinking, hey, you know what? Jesus Christ is coming back. I don't know if I need to work today. And you know what Paul says? You, you, you know this phrase. He says what? And if a man won't work, what does is, what is the tender, compassionate, caring apostle Paul say? If a man won't work, do not let him eat. Don't let him eat. Now, now by the way, here's, here's what I believe Paul intends. Is that, and then by realizing that, he would then work. By realizing this, and by being a, a church that would like hold people to standards and to hold people to things like godliness, that what would happen? But this is, this is where it's so foreign to us. That's what would happen in this culture, wouldn't it? They would even know. Paul could preach this and they'd go, well, of course we wouldn't help somebody. That, that person that you just described who's living that self-indulgent life, they're ashamed of their family. They should be embarrassed by the way that they're behaving. With us? First of all, we're not allowed to know who they are. Second of all, we're not allowed to judge them, right? Confidentiality. And we can never judge anybody, which, by the way, makes it just so easy for us to just live selfish, self-absorbed, individual lives. Man, this text is harder than I thought it was. Look at what he says. It gets even crazier. But refuse to enroll younger widows. What does he say? And by the way, he knows them. Okay, he probably could give you a list of names. He doesn't because of confidentiality. It was called HIPAA back then and confidentiality purposes for this. It was called um, Pippa. It was like the pastoral. No. Um, look at what he says here. But refuse to enroll younger women. Why? For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry. Which, by the way, doesn't mean that marrying is bad. Because you're going to see in a moment he's going to recommend that they marry. So don't, don't kind of bash marrying it. He's already even told Paul, t- t- Timothy to, to not let people teach that people shouldn't marry. Okay? There's a really complicated word, and I've got it in green on the top, and I'm going to need my glasses to read my own writing. Um, I, I thought that maybe there'd be like a very interesting Greek word to, meaning to draw away from. There's a, there's a number of Greek words that talk about to stray, planeo, or some different things to kind of pull away, but actually here's what the word means there. That passions to draw them away literally means impulses of sexual desire and then there's a, a, a word, like a, like a prefix on the front of that word, kata, meaning against. So Paul either makes this word or uses this word, and here's what it is. These women, these younger widows, are going to have passions for these desires, and they are going to then go against who Jesus Christ is. That's what the word literally means. That their passions, by the way, again, He's not saying their passion to marry is wrong. It's, it's the similar word to the self-indulgent word that we saw back in verse six. There is a self-indulgent behavior here and Paul already said like we're not doing this. We're not supporting self-indulgent behavior with the church and with the needs that we have. And especially imagine just when the church has tremendous needs. 
People are selling things that they have, like in the book of Acts, right? People are selling stuff that they have so that there'd be no needs among them. Their passions draw them away from Christ. They desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Um, The words literally mean first for former. And then the word faith is just the word pistis, meaning faith. But it actually, in this context, probably means pledge. So again, Paul is not saying that if you're a young widow that you, no, no, no. He's about to say, listen, if you're young, you probably should marry. He says this in 1 Corinthians 7. Like if, if, if something happens and you get divorced or if something happens and you're, you're going to, he says, I recommend you stay single. That way you can focus on Jesus. But if you're going to want to, you know, engage in certain behaviors, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. You need to marry then. Just make sure if you do that, you marry in the Lord. That's what he says in 1 Corinthians 7. So he gives rather um, intricate and demanding and intrusive and discerning principles of life. For people who say, man, the Bible's just so, uh, you know, kind of generic or whatever. I mean, no, this is actually pretty intense here. They incur this condemnation because... They become self-indulgent and and what it appears to be, and again, commentators have to somewhat try to guess, what it appears to be that certain widows could take the money that has been provided for them and instead of, if they're not actively involved in serving the body of Christ and serving the kingdom, they're going to just become like the men that we see in 2 Thessalonians 3, just lazy. Now, I don't know about you, but I actually, and I don't, I don't mean to be mean about this, but I've actually found that to be the case with a lot of people. I've actually found that. My dad actually said that about me. Hey, son, get off the couch. Try helping out around here. How dare you, father? Don't judge me, dad. I never said that to my father. Verse 13, besides that, and um, for those of you that don't like the fact that Jesus and Paul will use sarcasm. Close your ears for this next section. Paul says here, and this is a rather kind of a very strong, the the, the Greek word is sarcastic dig. Look at this. Besides that, they learn to be idlers. The word literally means they spend a whole bunch of energy and time to be lazy. It's sarcasm. It's the same phrase he uses in 2 Timothy 3, 7, always learning, but they never understand. It's kind kind of a bit of an inside joke. They're so busy spending all of their time trying to learn that they don't learn anything. And here's what he's saying. They are just doing, these women here, and again, he's not making an accusation against women. He's not saying this is what widows do. Paul is dealing with a real circumstance here. So I'm just going to trust him on this. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house and not only idlers, and there I have the reference from the first Thess- or Second Thessalonians 3, but also gossips, which doesn't just mean, we always talk about a gossip, people talking about other people. Literally the word just means blah, 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 like blah, 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 murmur, murmur, murmur. It just means talking silly. And busybodies, which in Acts 19, 19, it's only found twice in the New Testament, is actually translated magic. Some scholars wonder if what these women were doing and their kind of their busyness were kind of talking about how to deal with problems in life, with incantations and that kind of stuff. By the way, where did they, Acts 19.19, when they burned the magic books, what city? Ephesus. 
They are gossips. They are busybodies saying what they should not say. So, that word there is therefore, therefore, I would have younger women marry. So, do you see, he's not against marrying. He's against self-indulgent, sexually passioned women who decide to go against Christ. And I can't tell you the number of situations where I have to deal with, and it's a complicated marital situation, complicated divorces, maybe even on the horizon. And this, this person, male or female, actually is just really, man, I just I need out of this, I need out of this, I need out of this. And I like to ask, are you trying to get into another relationship? Oh, no, not me, not me. I'd never want to get into another relationship. I'm, you know, and, then, and then literally within days, well, I found this guy on Facebook. I'm sure you did. It's amazing. I mean, by the way, it's, it's a normal, Andrew and I have talked about this. I mean, the older I get, the less interested I am, but Andrew and I have talked about it. If one, one, well, something could happen to one of us, would the other one remarry? It's normal. Paul's saying, listen, if you're younger, I tell them to marry and to bear children and to manage. Now, this is a very interesting word. The word there for manage their household literally means be the master of. <laughs> Imagine he's telling women, you need to go be the master of your of your household. There really is, biblically speaking, a very, for, for people that say the Bible kind of describes women as just, I can't really do anything, can you help me? That's not Paul's view of women at all. Not, not at all. The godly woman in Proverbs 13 manages her household well. So, manage your household well and give the adversary no occasion for slander. That matches the reproach earlier in the text. Verse 15, why? For this reason, some have already strayed after Satan, which is the, another word of translating adversary. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, then let her care for them. That's that same word, to defend, to provide relief. It's a beautiful Greek word. And let the church not be burdened. Why? So that we can not give as much don't you love that when the church doesn't have needs and we can just spend them on ourselves more? Isn't that awesome? No. Because the church is mission-oriented. Why do we tell people that they need to care for? Well, because they need to honor their family. Why? Well, because there are people who are in need. And so he says, so that they may care for those who are what? Truly widows. I, uh, I'm not kidding when I say this text was way more difficult than I thought it would be. Because the truth is I have bought into, I'll just confess my, um, I don't know, short-sightedness, foolishness, enculturation, um, that I shouldn't make any judgments, um, that there really should be no like discerning factor as we help people. And I don't know what this text is saying because I don't think it's as simple as just kind of following it A to A, B to B, C to C, D to I don't think it's that simple either, okay? But I want you to hear this text and to realize that what Paul is describing and what he is desiring is a church that expects and holds people to things. You like that? Like, what do you want me to do? Let's pretend like I'm the leader, Right? So if I'm the leader, would you want us to just like not? You want us to just pretend like it doesn't matter? Like if you're like faithful and unfaithful, that's kind of like the same thing? 
Not like being a good person and being a, a not a good, like being lazy and being hardworking, they're kind of like the same thing. Like being godly and being ungodly, they're kind of like the same thing. No, they're not. And we have a responsibility to care for those who are truly widows. And we have a responsibility for those who are truly a widow, meaning by definition, and who are not living the way that they should. I, I, I think if I were to say to Paul, listen, Paul, there's this one widow, and she really was a mess. And we kind of told her we wouldn't help her. And we sent her home to her family. And then her dad died, and then da 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 da, da and she really is a different person. What do you think I should do? Paul would go, seriously? You don't know? No, I know. I was just checking. Love you guys.